things. And uh, we want to uh, just make this um, a time when we go to God for um, the plans he has for what he's doing here with us. It's been a glorious, glorious time of, uh, of just being, right? I mean, the church is 14 years old, 13 years old. We've been in this location for almost 10 years. And uh, um, it's marvelous. It's marvelous. Um, so we just, I think, you know, we, we just sense that we're, we're coming to a crossroad and we want to bathe that in prayer so, uh, so we can hear God's voice uh, as best we can. So there you have it. So how are you feeling? <laughs> you know, we had summer for three days, right? <laughs> and, then we, and then on Saturday... Uh, just that, you know, because God has a sense of humor, it's, you know, 187 degrees and I cut the lawn. So, and then uh, we went, we tried to go to a ball game last night and it went down to about 62 and rained. So, um, my body thinks it's been summer, winter, fall, all those things. And all my sinuses, not that you need to know that, but, you know, I share everything, are really suffering through that. So, anyway, I'm glad you're here. Chelly, it's good to have you back with us. Thank you. Wonderful. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We praise you. You're good. You're wonderful. You're glorious. You're dependable. You're faithful and just. And you're so loving. God, please uh, be with us in the reading of your word today. And um, may your words speak clearly through an imperfect servant. And we just trust you in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in Luke chapter 18, and that's written on your little scripture sheet. So you can look at that, but it won't do you any good right now because we're going to start in a different place to kind of set the tone. So I want to read to you from 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. If you have your Bibles, please feel free to turn there. By the way, we do scripture sheets. Let me tell you the main reason we do scripture sheets. is because we feel there may be people visiting that they do not know how to find the Scripture quickly. So we do these Scripture sheets. Or there may be people visiting that they don't have a Bible or they didn't bring a Bible. We are not doing the Scripture sheets so you don't have to bring your Bibles. We want you to bring your Bibles because we do alternative readings all the time. This one in in Thessalonians is is 10 verses long, and it's no place to be found on your Scripture sheet. But please get in the habit of bringing your Word. If it's electronic, that's fine. I don't care if you're looking at your phone as long as you're looking at the Bible. That's, That's a good thing. Or anything else. That's okay. However you want to carry God's Word with you is fine with us. But I want to continue and encourage you in that. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11 says this, Now concerning the times... And the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are, all, you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. 
But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with them. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So what I would ask you to do with this scripture reading, now that we've read it, don't forget about it, just kind of put it in your hip pocket because it's going to come back later in the sermon. But we had to start there. So in order for us to gain even more perspective, I'm going to read last week's scriptures as well, which is not on your scripture sheet, and it leads us into chapter 18 because these two things, these two passages have a lot in common with one another. So last week we read this, Luke 17, 20 through 37, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And his disciples And he said to his disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look over there. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day... Let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now, this scripture is a bit cryptic, and I didn't get to it last week. Just this final line where it says, Where, Lord? And he said, Where the corpse are gathered, where the vultures will gather. It's talking about, obviously, Armageddon. And I wish there were some big whammy thing to tell you what this means, but in all actuality, it just kind of says what it says. And uh, I looked at a lot of different authors, and um, uh, some believe this concerns the people of the Jewish nation who did not receive Christ. It could. It also would include the lost. Uh, The vultures in some translations, or eagles in others, represent Rome. That's what some people believe. Most do not believe it applies exclusively to the lost. So, it isn't often that I, that I try to use all of my intelligence at once. But this time I did, and I'm not going to say anything more, because if these brilliant people can't figure it out, I don't think I can. But uh, the bottom line is this. Christ is returning, and when He does, it's not going to be the way He came the first time. 
So then Jesus moves on with another parable in Luke 18, 1 through 14. The, now, this is on your scripture sheet. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who never feared, who neither feared not God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect and cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, in a nutshell, this is what we're going to learn today. There are two judges, there's a widow, and there's the return of Christ. Number one, the unjust judge, Luke 18, 2. In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Now, this is quite a description of this fellow. If one neither fears God nor respects mankind, then there is only one thing left for which this person lives, and it's himself. If you do not recognize God, and let's say you recognize God, but you don't really fear Him, which means show Him proper honor and respect, and you don't respect humanity, what is left? And it has everything to do with this man. You think about this for a minute. It's the picture of the perfect narcissist. Think for a moment how toxic this guy was to anyone with whom he came into contact. This person is utterly bankrupt of any character. There is nothing there. And in my 39 years of life, plus a few, I have come into contact with a few narcissists. Have you come into a contact with a a narcissist? It's a word that just came really back into popularity in the past few years or so. But a narcissist is one that is psychotic about him or her. They're very deceptive. They're very arrogant. And typically, they're very, um, I'm going to say positive. They tend to be leaders. This person is utterly bankrupt of character. First Proverbs 28.5 says this, and it fits perfectly. Evil men do not understand justice. But those who seek the Lord understand it completely. So what was this guy's profession? He was a judge. Evil men do not understand justice. But those who seek the Lord understand it completely. He was an unsaved and evil man. The Bible says that man left to his own devices is purely evil. Genesis 6-5 says this, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, 
and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That happened really soon after the fall. We're talking Genesis. And already, this is what God says, the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil occasionally. No, continually. When Adam fell from grace, he really fell from grace. And it infected his sons and daughters and grandchildren and on and on it goes until it finally gets to you and me. Isaiah 17.9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Mark 7.21, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Man left to his own devices will only get worse. We are evil left to our own devices. And we eventually destroy uh, destroy others and ultimately uh, destroy ourselves. And the only thing worse and more dangerous than a narcissist is a narcissist with power. Jesus says of this judge... He does not fear God. He has a disdain for God. And he respects no one. He looks down his nose at everybody. Because he's better. And if he makes a mistake, it's your fault. And if he's in trouble, it's unjust. If he's called to account... He's angry. Enter the widow. Luke 18, 3 says, And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Now this is what we can surmise based upon what we know about this lady that's written in Scripture. There's some things that are just plain facts here. She was a widow. means her husband. She had a husband. means her husband passed. She was representing herself in court because there were no other men in her family that would represent her. So she was alone. She's a widow. She's alone. And she's in court pleading her case. Isaiah 117 says this, Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. No one was pleading her cause. She's by herself in front of a narcissistic judge. Someone had wronged her to the point that she was willing to face this judge on her own and place her life in his hands. More than a little bit of courage here. She goes to court. Let's read the next few verses. Verse 4. For a while he, meaning the judge, refused... But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Now, let's look at what he says. He's a narcissist. He's looking down his nose at everybody. And in walks a widow. 
No man with her. And by the way, ladies, you know that in biblical times, ladies were not, I'm going to say, equally thought of in some ways as far as the positions they should be able to hold and those kinds of things. But there was this. There was a protection and an honor. And the reason I mention this to you is because a lady could often go to this court and say things that no man could ever get away with. And that's exactly what she's doing. Now, she does this not once, but over and over again. And she is determined, she is tenacious, and she digs her heels in. She's going nowhere except for this, before this judge. Now, she does this to the point that this narcissistic judge has to do something for his own sanity. Some, some of you men have been around and you go, hmm. There's this old saying, uh, when mama's happy, everybody's happy. When mama's unhappy, nobody's happy. I'm not sure that's scripture, but it should be in an appendix someplace. And by the way, that's fine. That's why marriage is good. So she doesn't just once, but over and over and over again, until this judge is says, I just have to do something because she's driving me crazy. The first thing he does is confess that he is indeed, that he does not fear God. Can you believe that? Now, this is a parable, Right? But he says, since I don't fear God and I don't respect man, he's even proud of that. So he confesses, I do not fear God, I do not respect the widow, but does this lead to repentance? No, it doesn't. It does, however, lead to a good outcome for this widow. Verse 5, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming or hounding. I love that phrase. The word beat, that means to strike Knock, slam, or whop. That's what she's doing with this judge. She's pummeling him and hounding him. This guy, wherever he goes, she is with him in public, pounding on his door at night, waiting for him to go to the proverbial courthouse, and she's waiting on him right there. The bottom line is the only reason he is awarding her justice is so he can have some peace for his own sake. Let's make sure we get this. Although this judge does not fear God or respect his subjects, justice was served because it benefited him. It was all about him. So the first picture we have is the unjust judge. The next picture we have is the righteous judge. Jesus draws a comparison between the absolute awful characterless judge who has no regard for anyone other than himself and God the Father. He does so with two questions. Verse 7, he says this, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Seems like kind of a poetic sentence, and yet it carries a wallop. The obvious answer to this question is yes. And will not God give justice to his elect? We know that. He's going to give justice. Because of us? No, because of him. How do we know this? Well, the scriptures are filled with descriptions of God's character and justice. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says this. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. 
with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. The New Living Translation says it this way, Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. Let me encourage you in something. Some of you may be sitting out there thinking, obey his commands. See, if you'd just left that last part out. He loves us, and he's he's for us, and he's faithful to us, those who love him and obey his commands. It's Deuteronomy. When you receive Jesus Christ, all the commands have been obeyed as far as God is concerned concerning you because we are saved through Jesus Christ. So believers... Don't let this get you down. If you don't know Jesus, go ahead and let it get you down. Because that's exactly what it means. If you don't know Jesus, if you haven't received Jesus Christ, you're accountable for every law, every thought, every awful thing, every minute awful thing you've ever thought. It's counted against you. For those of us who receive Christ, when we receive Christ, all those commands have been fulfilled. Let me say this also. It does not eliminate our need to be obedient. John 14, 15, if you love me, what? You will obey my commands. So the reason we obey Christ as believers is because it honors Jesus and because we love Christ. And by the way, it, go, it goes well for us too. So I wanted to unpack that just a little bit because we're going to move quickly. 2 Corinthians five ten says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? So that each one may receive what is due. Oh, okay, so this is really important that we know Jesus now, right? Because if we receive what we're due, I'm not looking forward to being. I mean, even if it's only a few seconds, my humanity screams out. I know all the things I've done wrong. I know the thoughts of man. This is beautiful, for we must give... We will all appear before the judgment seat. Why? So that each one may receive what is his due according to who? according to what Paul says is the righteous judge. For what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So the righteous judge will assess our lives. And as he assesses our lives as believers, he sees the blood of Jesus. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. If you don't know Jesus, be be concerned. 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who love, who have loved his appearing. What? For all who have kept all the laws, for all who have loved His appearing. Nothing to do with works. For all who have loved His appearing. I want to read it again. I have fought the good fight. This is Paul. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. It's really important to understand that we have to be excited about the second coming. Will not God give justice to the elect who cry to Him day and night? 
Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? No. So the point Jesus is making is this. If a corrupt, characterless, and morally bankrupt, narcissistic judge can be goaded into awarding justice out of selfish motives, how much more so will the righteous judge speedily award justice to the elect of whom he has already taken upon himself their punishment? So we have the unjust judge, we have the righteous judge, now we have the persistent widow. Let's ask a question. Why was the widow so persistent? What was it that drove her to such behavior? What was the goal she had in view? For what was she campaigning? What were her motives? She wanted justice. Why was justice so important to her? Do we believe that she would have been pursuing justice if she thought there was a chance she would lose her case? I don't think so. Do we believe that she would have been pursuing justice if she thought there's a chance in the world that she would be denied? Even with a bankrupt, narcissistic judge, she had confidence in justice. She was hounding this judge because she knew that the law was on her side. Keeping in mind that this is a parable, we must ask the question, how does this apply to us this morning? She knew the law was on her side. I believe that the unjust judge represents the corrupt world system. This is the system that we all know well and do not love at all. It's hard to ignore what's going on in the capital of our nation. And it's hard not to have opinions on it. And we do not welcome them here, by the way, because we don't think politics is a reason that anyone should not feel welcome here. But this is what I do have to say. You have an opinion. Some of you who are over the age of um, 30, okay, some of you who are under the age of 30, you probably have a different view of what's going on than someone over the age of 30 or over the age of 40 or 50. I'm amazed there were people, I guess in high school, that weren't around when 9-11 happened. That was our Pearl Harbor, right? I remember hearing about Pearl Harbor and reading about Pearl Harbor. I was born in 19... And so there was a point where it wasn't that far removed from me. And I just didn't care as much as the people who went through the Second World War. The Second World War was totally different for people that had lived through that. It goes into a history book and it's one more historical event where we were victorious.
there's a point where we pursue what we believe to be right. And this system is corrupt. And I believe the unjust judge is the the world system we see. I believe, obviously, the righteous judge is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, depending on which office you want to look at. And I think believers are the persistent widow. We are the ones who go to court and we're judged by an unfair system. Because in our eyes, we have the truth. And by the way, in the eyes of God, we have the truth. See, we know what justice is, but we are in a world system that is skewed. And by and large, not to be too severe, but by and large, it is run by men and women who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, they are left to their own, um, their own conclusions. And there is cheating, and there's prejudice, and there's racism. And we stand before judges that they not only don't understand us, they resent us. I've heard so many commentators, another tragedy in Virginia Beach, right? Twelve people killed by a lunatic. Man was evil. And I hear more and more commentators and talk show hosts and politicians. Don't tell me you're going to pray. Do something. Wow. That's our world system. So finally we come to the return of Christ. This parable is about the second coming of Christ Jesus. He's continuing his prophecy concerning his return. And how should we view his return? That's the question he's asking. 1 Corinthians 16.21 says, Maranatha. How should we view the return of Christ? We should be excited about the return of Christ. We should be praying, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Are we doing this? Are we crying out day and night, come back soon? I think not. And here's why. We, especially those of us who live in the United States, can be quite content and comfortable. We are very self-sufficient here. As a matter of fact, we pride ourselves in being self-sufficient. We're so proud of our self-sufficiency that we are embarrassed or humiliated to admit we need help. The word charity is now attached to those at whom we might look down our noses at. Much like the unjust judge, I fear we may have fallen in love with this world more than we know. Now, if we happen to be living in an area of the world where famines are common and military regimes are constantly, indiscriminately murdering entire families and Christians are being massacred for their faith, perhaps 1 Corinthians 16, 21 would be prayed more often, Lord, come quickly. Or 
And here we have an amazing prophecy for believers in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, do you believe that? Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now here it is. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another in these words. It's a glorious scripture. It's a glorious prophecy. It's a glorious promise. Why do, we, why do we long so to try to make this earth like heaven? We can't. Uh, and by the way, I do it too. What, a, what an event to look forward to. The Lord himself will descend. This parable is about the church standing before an unjust judge and crying out night and day, Lord, come quickly. See, I'm left a little uncomfortable with that because I kind of like my life. Do you like your lives? We go, well, you know. Well, we all have good days and bad days, but folks, compared to the rest of the world, we have everything. And I think that goes... I think it's a detriment to us sometimes. If it gets too hot, we turn the air conditioning up or down, however you want to look at that. We make it cooler. If we're cold, we turn on the furnace. If we have to, if we have to go 10 miles, we get in the car and it gets us there, there a mile a minute. We can be someplace in 10 minutes. Food. Conveniences. It makes it difficult sometimes for us to stay focused. I want to close this morning with a warning. For believers in Christ, His return will be a fantastic moment, as we read this morning in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath. Then what has He destined us for? But to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what He's destined us for. Folks, if you have not received Jesus Christ, this can be your destiny. He did not destine us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. 
1 Corinthians 15, 52, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. If this is the generation that's going to continue to breathe oxygen when Jesus Christ comes, it's going to be a glorious time, and we're going to be with Him forever. The, the dead will rise first. The saints. Now, if that doesn't freak people into salvation... But it won't, by the way. It won't. First John 3, 2 and 3 says this, Beloved, we are God's children, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Do you realize you can't see Him as He is? You can't see God as He is until we're in spirit. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Colossians 3, 4, When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. But for those who have not received Christ, the event will be quite different. Matthew 24, 30 and 31 says this, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send out His angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Who is going to be standing and watching this take place? The non-believer. The world will mourn when Christ comes back. We will rejoice. Revelation 6, 12, 15, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the powerful, the politicians, the rulers, the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Great, powerful, privileged will be hiding in caves. So we have to ask this question, why will people hide themselves in the caves? Is it out of fear for their own lives? Is it to escape the catastrophes that are happening all around them? Perhaps, but that's not really what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says, Revelation 6.16, calling to the mountain and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Wars won't be anything compared to the fear of seeing Jesus. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Now this should jog your memory about something that happened when God led them out of Egypt and He took them to the mountain. He said, I'm going to descend on that mountain. And the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak to us lest we die. 
Same God, same glory. Same reaction. I cannot emphasize this enough. Upon Christ's return, Luke 18.8 will carry with it an eternal reality. I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Meaning, the saved and the unsaved alike. You will not be able to state your case, Mr. Narcissist. You can't change the conversation. You will be facing truth, capital T, because a verdict has already been reached in the court of heaven. You know, we read earlier in Deuteronomy the following, Now therefore... Um, now, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenants and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. He said, this is a God. You know what verse 10 and 11 says? And repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes of the rules that I command you today. And I say this again, this is encompassed in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for believers. At the same time, He is lifting us out of heaven. That is His justice for us through His Son. He's giving justice to those who hate Him. And by the way, the Bible says, all who are not for me or against me, if you do not love me, you hate me. That's a paraphrase. So when He says, I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily, He's going to say, now. There's no defense attorneys. There's no court costs. There's no way of putting it off. Hebrews 9.28, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear the second time, not to deal with sin, except for the unsaved, but to rescue those who eagerly are waiting for Him. Are we eagerly waiting I get it if we're not. It's pretty pretty cushy here. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Well, of course the answer is no. It's never been here. So the question is, will you receive Christ this morning? And here's how that is done. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Well, I don't think I am a sinner. I just do wrong things. That's a sin. And I know I'm a sinner. And according to the Scriptures, I can't get to heaven. And I know that according to the Scriptures, that Jesus Christ is your one and only Son. He came and He died. He was born of a virgin, died took our sins with Him and rose again. And He's coming back. That's Jesus, I believe. And if you can say that, then the prayer is real simple. Jesus, I lay my life down. I receive You as my Lord and Savior. Salvation. That's all it is. But boy, what it is.
I want to leave you with one more scripture because I think this will be encouraging to you. It is to me. Romans seven twenty one through 25 says this, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Can we agree with that? For I delight in the law of God. In my inner being, I mean my spirit, according to Christ who is in me, says yes. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my flesh, in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul says in verse 21, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And here's the great scripture, Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That I cling to. Because I know what a wretched man I am. Do you? Ladies and gentlemen, do you? But there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If not for Christ, we would all stand hopeless and condemned at the judgment seat of Christ. So thank you, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. Lord, may we not presume that you do not see our sin. May we not presume that anything we have that is good comes from us. Everything we have that is good, that either comes to us or from us, is from you. God, may we be reminded this earth is not our home. And may we be that persistent widow that stands before the righteous judge and says, Lord Jesus, come quickly. May we long for our eternal home more than we cling to this home. God, release us from our selfishness and our pride and our arrogance. May we live for you and you alone. For in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. I'd love to pray with you if you would like to have prayer blessings.